Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Chatham Community Church. Let's see. This is on now, yes. I'm glad y'all are here. My name is Jaime. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm excited to get to see you this morning. Uh, And uh, I am excited that y'all braved the weather. You know, the church that I uh, first started attending back in Puerto Rico, when it would rain, uh, we would have this joke that it seems like people are made of paper, because if it would rain, people wouldn't show up. And uh, as soon as I came to Chatham uh, Community in Chatham County, I realized people here are made of sturdier stock, I think. Because uh, the rain doesn't seem to deter us. So I'm grateful to see y'all here. Uh, before I get into sort of the meat of the message, I just want to clarify something. Dave asked me to clarify something about the uh, Student Ministries Fall Kickoff announcement, uh, which is today. Uh, if, uh, if for any reason the event at Jordan Lake is not possible, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be communication that is going to go out via email, and a posting is going to be made on Facebook. And the, uh, the alternate plan is to have an event here at Chatham Mills, here at Pittsburgh. Uh, they will grill, and they will have a game night. So there will be a fall kickoff uh, today for student ministries. It just depends. The only thing that's uh, at stake is where it's going to be and there will be communication for that. So if you have youth or no youth, make sure you let them know that they will be or should be or can or maybe might go somewhere today uh, to sort of uh, welcome back or welcome each other back and dive into the new year. Um, If you do happen to be a guest, whether it's your first time or your first time in a long time, I'd love to say hi to you. So at the end of the service, I'm going to be in the back under the emergency exit sign. Uh, uh, Come pass by. Say hi. Let me know your name. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you ended up in Chatham County and what your experience was like this morning. If you drive around enough sort of old historic towns in certain parts of this country, you're bound to stumble upon buildings that look like this. Uh, This is a restaurant in a small town just north of the historic Roosevelt Estate in upstate in Hyde Park, New York. It's a beautiful restaurant, it's a beautiful building that houses a very well-reviewed restaurant. Uh, But it doesn't look like it was originally a restaurant, does it? Uh, It kind of looks like a church. And that's because it was. At one point in time, uh, this building, which is now a restaurant, was a church. When I see buildings like this, I can't help but wonder, what happened? What's the story there? The last few times I've been in New York City for graduate-level courses, there's always been at least one group of students who talk about going to John's Pizzeria. Now, it's not odd to have people who come to New York City from other places in the country or the world talking about going to eat pizza. There's a reason why New York pizza is so famous and well-known. And I don't doubt that the pizza at John's is good, but that's not the reason they go there. John's pizzeria occupies the same building that housed the original church, the church that started the network of churches that they're a part of, the denomination that they are a part of. And uh, the restaurant still retains many details and features of the original, what was known then as the Gospel Tabernacle. Uh, You know, it still has the beautiful domed ceiling with the stained glass. Even those lamps that you're seeing uh, are church lamps. They have crosses on the top. And the layout uh, is with the balcony and everything was how the church was laid out when it was originally there. Uh, And when they talk about going to John's or even when they talk about having gone to John's, they talk about it with 
some, something that sounds like reverence. It's almost like it's a pilgrimage for these people when they come to New York to head over to John's Pizzeria. They'll tell stories of what they've heard, uh, of, of the stories that they know, the stories that are passed down, of all that God did through that church in New York City in a very strategic location near Times Square. And they, they, rem- they sort of wonder with longing what could have been, what stories might have been told, what stories might still be told had the church still been there, had the church been there over all these years. Because at some point, a church ceased to be there. The church stopped occupying that space. It fell into disrepair until the wonderful people who owned John's came in and cleaned it up uh, and left those amazing details there. So when they talk about going to visit John's, when they talk about the memories that are not theirs, they're the, the denomination's memories, but they share those memories. When they talk with longing about what could have been, when they have that look on their faces, it, it's, it's almost like they've been to a cemetery, It's almost like they've gone somewhere to honor something or a life that once was that is no longer there. And I can't help but wonder, what happened? What's the story there? How did something that was so vibrant, so full of life, so effective, so full of the move of God die out? Die out. There was a time in the history of the people of God as told in the Old Testament where they were in a situation much like this. They had been vibrant, full of life, uh, reaching people. It was a move of God. And yet they found themselves full no longer. The temple destroyed. How did something so vibrant, so full of God, seemingly die out? Well, I think both for them and for uh, churches like that one, when you dig into the story what you tend to find out is that at some point or another, purpose was lost. They forgot what they had been established for. They forgot what it meant or what it took to be part of God's vibrant work. And that was true for the people of God in the Old Testament. But it doesn't fully die out. See, there's a turn in the story, a turn that we don't always see in churches that used to occupy historic buildings like the ones I've shown. In the story of the people of God in the Old Testament, just when it feels like they're about to die out, like they're about to disappear, God brings a promise. It's a promise we'll look at in just a bit. All sorts of communities, all sorts of organizations, all sorts of people have a purpose. Sometimes that purpose is stated. Sometimes it's not stated, but it's known based on what the people do or how they carry themselves. A purpose is a why for your existence. It directs your actions. It guides how you carry yourself in the world that you're in. And so it may not surprise you to hear that the idea, the concept of church has a purpose. And in fact, Chatham Community Church here in Chatham County, in North Chatham and in Pittsburgh has a purpose. There are answers to questions like why is there such a thing as a church to be part of? And why is Chatham Community Church here? And knowing that, knowing what the purpose of a church is, knowing what the purpose of this church is might help you as you try to figure out is this the community that God is inviting you to be part of and being reminded of what our purpose is 
the why of why we're here, the why we've been established here, might help us stay on the path that keeps us vibrant rather than put us on the path that leads to dying out. So if you have a Bible, we are going to look at that promise that we talked about. It's in the 17th chapter of the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is one of the prophetic books in the Old Testament. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and look that up. We're going to be in the latter half of the Old Testament. And here's how you find Ezekiel. You start paging through. You get past Psalms. You get past Isaiah. You get past Jeremiah. If you get to Daniel, you went too far. And if you start seeing names you don't recognize, you've definitely gone too far. You start saying Jesus, you've certainly gone too far. But right around there is Ezekiel, and we're going to be in chapter 17. We're going to read just three verses, verses 22 through 24. And if you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it, because it's going to be on the screen in just a second. But here we go. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will take a shoot from the very top of a cedar and plant it. I will break off a tender sprig from its topmost shoots and plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Another way to translate that word is a noble cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. All the trees of the forest will know that I, the Lord, bring down the tall tree and make a low tree grow tall. I dry up the green cheek and make the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it. This is a beautiful promise, especially when you consider that it's brought to a people who are at one of their lowest points in their history. They are a people in exile. They have lost the land that had been given to them. They have lost their home. Their land has been conquered. It's been sacked. It's been pillaged. Their place of worship has been destroyed. Their connection to God feels severed. Let me share a quick overview of how we got to that point of a people in a position where they needed to hear this kind of promise. Last week, we actually saw one of the starting points of the journey. We looked at the promise that God had given to a man named Abram, who later becomes Abraham. He promises that he's going to make a great nation out of him, that, he, that they will be numerous and, and that, 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 that through him, through these people, through this family, through this nation, God is going to bless everyone. God is going to bless the whole world. And the story is not smooth after Abraham receives that promise. There are plenty of bumps along the way. There are painful periods, including many years of slavery in Egypt. But if you look at the aggregate of the experience, if you look at the aggregate of the history, the trajectory is one that, that, that includes many moments of God's powerful work in and through them, God is moving them in the direction of fulfilling his promise. His presence and power are at work in them and through them to bless people around them. And he calls them to be faithful to their part as he is more than faithful to his part. They settled in a land called Canaan. And we have figures who have remained in our memory like David at this stage in their history. And a culminating moment for this stage in their history is when a man named Solomon constructs and dedicates a temple in Jerusalem. It's a permanent indicator 
for them and for others of God's presence in that land, of God's blessing for that people, of God's promise to bless the nations through that people. It's a place for the nations to come to and meet this God. That temple is a bit of a monument. It's a statement. It's a testament to God's favor towards them. It becomes a sort of symbol, a symbol that God is with them, a symbol for them to remember their history and for people to know and learn. But soon, the people start to rely more on the temple, on the fact of the temple, than on the God who is meant to dwell in the temple. They presume that because there's a symbol, the God who is attached to that symbol will always grant them what they knew. And they give up on pursuing God. They forget their purpose. They forget that anything that's been given to them, even the temple itself, is meant to be part of God's work to bless the nations. They forget their purpose. And a kingdom that was once unified splits. And a northern kingdom gets taken over and sacked. And tribes, families, groups are lost to history. And there's a southern kingdom that still remains. They still have a chance, but they don't capitalize on the opportunity. And consequences come. In fact, God warns them about the consequences that are coming. And he says, you still have time. And they don't take that opportunity God brings the consequences. But instead of in the midst of consequences or even before the consequences, the people turning to God, they turn to Egypt for help. Now, Egypt was not a good place for them. It had not been a good place for them. And yet consistently in the scriptures, it is a sign when the people turn to Egypt or when the people talk about Egypt that they have forgotten their purpose, that they are seeking a type of protection, a type of favor, a type of blessing that is separate from gods. They try to survive using the tactics of the nations around them instead of the promise that God had given them. They forgot that they're supposed to be different, that there are ways in which they were made to be distinct, and it comes back to bite them. And the temple is destroyed. And it feels like they're on the verge of disappearing completely, but they haven't yet. And God brings a promise. And the promise is connected to their forgotten purpose. At their lowest moment, God brings them a promise, a promise that's connected to their purpose. Oftentimes, when we are at our lowest, one of the temptations that we have or that we experience is the temptation to believe that we are too far gone, that we didn't turn to God soon enough. Maybe you are at one of those points right now where you wonder, you wonder if it's too Late. Let me tell you, if you still have breath to breathe, if you're in this place, there is still time. God is still waiting. God still has promises for you and has a promise for you connected oftentimes to your purpose, to the reason why you were brought to life, to the reason why you're in this place, to the reason why you are in Chatham County, to the reason why you have the gifts, the talents, the skills, and the experiences that you have. You and I are never too far gone to God, for God. Even in the moments when it feels like we're on the verge of a spiritual death or a mental death or an emotional death or of squandering one more opportunity in a long line of squandered opportunities, God still has promise for you. God still is calling out to you. 
God still has purpose for you. A few years ago, uh, there was a paradigm being used to talk about the life cycle of churches and other sort of nonprofit Christian organizations. And it uses the images, or it, it's connected to the images I've been showing. It, they talk about, these people talked about uh, how at the start of churches or organizations, there's a lot of passion. People are excited about the fact that there is a new thing happening and people can get involved. There's always at this time a clarity of purpose. There is creativity as people figure out how do we do things? How do we get things going? And there's growth. There is movement. There is trajectory. It's dynamic. And the word that they use for that stage is movement. You talk to anyone who was around here in the early days of Chatham Community Church, and this is how they talk about Chatham Community Church. In fact, they still come alive, and in fact, many of them still carry that excitement in the ways that they serve and worship and engage in Chatham County and in this church. There is excitement. But as the movement grows, what tends to happen is things get more established. Things get more established. Routines uh, come about. There is consistency. There is structure. There are, there's some organization happening. And there is a desire to preserve the things, the traditions, the routines that got you here, the things that helped you get to where you are. It's a little less dynamic because you're trying to maintain what you've already built. And the word that the practitioners of this paradigm would use is they'd call this the museum or monument stage. And the challenge that the proponents of this paradigm would say about the museum or monument stage is that when churches focus too much on this stage, when they focus too much on maintaining, they end up not maintaining, they end up dying. Sorry, they end up dying. They end up as a mausoleum. That's what they call the third stage. There may still be something there. There may still be good memories. Maybe there's still maybe a spirit of what it once was, but it's a husk. It's a husk. It's running on fumes, and it will eventually fade. Now, it's very clear that the mausoleum is not where we want to be. It's not where any church wants to be. And they'd argue that we're, we're, where we are mostly meant to be is in the movement stage. But I'd argue that there are costs to being only a movement and that, in fact, there are benefits or opportunities to being a monument. There are roots that are established. There is stability and consistency. What if there were an image better than these that would capture the best of the movement and the best of the monument and museum? Well, I think it's right there in the passage we read. It's the noble cedar. It's a splendid cedar. A few years ago, this image captured the imagination of folks who were at Chatham Community Church at the time, so much so that even though I came here years after, people talked about it so much that it has captured my imagination as well. We are in Chatham County, we'd say, as a noble cedar, as a splendid or noble cedar. It takes the best of the movement and the best of the monument. It has permanence, and it's dynamic at the same time. It's established and ever-developing. It's here for the long haul, and yet it's alive. It has life to it. And here's what it means to be a noble cedar, according to the passage. And the noble cedar is something that God does. God is the primary agent, but we get to partner with him. Here's what it means to be a noble cedar. To be a noble cedar means that we put down roots in the places where God has established us. In the passage, the Lord takes a sprig 
He takes a sprig and he plants it and it becomes a noble cedar. And friends, you can't become, you can't go from sprig to noble cedar without putting down roots, without putting down roots that can sustain that type of growth, that type of structure, that type of, of development. You can't become a noble cedar without having deep roots. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to spend about a month in Madison, Wisconsin, taking care of a house for some friends. And there was uh, some farming attached to that and some caring for chickens. It was a fantastic experience for me. Uh, And I met some people who were around, but I didn't get connected to anything. Uh, I I didn't build lasting relationships. I didn't get involved in any organizations, nor really have much care for what was going on in the community of Madison around me because I knew I wasn't there for the long haul. I knew that experience was passing. I knew I would be gone in just a little bit. There wasn't an expectation to put down roots. For me and for many of us here, our time in Chatham County, even though it may not be forever, is certainly not passing. Many of us have bought homes. We've started businesses. We've gotten involved in the PTA or in the HOA or in local organizations and the Boys and Girl Scouts. We've done so much more. We have put down roots. When we put down roots, what we do is we signal to the people around us, to the community around us, that we are here, that we care, that we are invested, that we are involved, that we are for the life of the community. Take a moment to consider how you have put down roots and how many roots you have put down here in Chatham County. How have you signaled that you are committed to this place for as long as God would have you here. Some of you got here and maybe this isn't the place you envisioned yourself in. And maybe you've been here long enough that now you're sort of just made your peace with the fact that this is going to be the place, but you've still not put down roots. You're sort of just floating around here, drifting even as you stay. As a church, Our building of a location in North Chatham was a way that we signaled to the county that we are here. Our renting of this space, not just for Sunday services, but for the whole week, is a way that we've signaled to Pittsburgh that we are here. The the ongoing relationships we have built with with Pittsburgh Elementary, with Cora Food Pantry, where we're not just flying in and saying, here's our donation, but where we're getting to know the people and saying, what do you need? We are here for you. We are invested in you, is a way that we are signaling to the community that we are here, that we are putting down roots. If we were to vanish tomorrow, people would notice because it would feel to the community like something had been uprooted. Like something had been uprooted. That's the best way to know if you've put down roots. Imagine what would happen if you suddenly were no longer here in this community. Would people notice? Would it feel like an important part of the community was no longer there, an important part of the neighborhood, an important part of the school, an important part of the classroom or workspace? Would it feel like something had been uprooted? Another thing a noble cedar does is a noble cedar produces the growth and the fruit needed. 
for the place where it's at. In the image, it talks about branches growing, and they're growing for a purpose because birds are going to need to nest there. We'll talk about that in just a second. It produces fruit because animals will need to eat of that fruit, and that fruit will lead to more growth as seeds are planted in other places. It serves a purpose for the ecosystem that it's in. God has blessed us in Chatham Community Church with growth both numerically but also spiritually. But that growth is not to exalt our name. It's not to pat ourselves on the back. It's not to say, hey, look what a great church we are. It is for the sake of blessing Chatham County with what it needs. God only produces growth in order to bless the community around us in order to bless the place where we're in. Now, there's blessing for us as well. Many of us here have grown and benefited from the fact that there's been growth, from the fact that there's been development, from the fact that there are programs, and that is good. It serves the tree to remain healthy, but it's ultimately so that the place where we're at can be blessed, so it can receive what it needs. Any growth that we experience, we try to mobilize for the sake of Chatham County. As noble cedars, we're also made into a gathering place or a gathering community because it's not just about the building or the physical location. It's about the environments we create and the places we're at. Friends, people are never going to run out of ways to classify, to divide themselves from others. But the gift we have is that we know that we are all made in God's image. We all have intrinsic value and worth because we are created by the same Father, a noble cedar leverages that to bring together folks who otherwise wouldn't be together. We have this thing in our church called small groups where it's small communities of people that gather to live life together, to support each other together, to follow God together. And one of the things we often talk about or notice in some of these small groups is that they are made up of people who would have no other reason to know or be friends with each other were it not for this type of environment were it not for this type of structure. You are likely sitting near or next to or around people who are on the opposite end of the political spectrum from you, who are on the opposite end of the educational spectrum from you, who are on the opposite end of the socioeconomic spectrum from you. Some of you are sitting around people who have a different history than you, a different family history, a different ethnic and racial background than you. They may think differently about social issues than you do, and yet we are here together, because this is a gathering place. We gather together folks in ways that they would normally resist. And it's not a secret here. We talk about those differences. We talk about what it means to coexist in the midst of those differences and to listen and learn from each other and pursue what God's will and purpose is. We consider this place a place where we can find refuge from the differences that divide and tell us that there's no way that we can be together and in peace. And lastly, the noble cedar bears witness to the flourishing that is possible in God. The passage talks doesn't talk about the noble cedar being hidden. It doesn't talk about the noble cedar sort of being unseen. It is planted in a place where people can see it. And as they see it, it's part of how God defies the conventions of society on what will and what won't work. It's, it's why the passage talks about that God will bring down the tall tree and raise up the low tree, why he will dry up the green tree and bring fruit from the dry tree while he will make it flourish. He is saying the world has a way of functioning. It has a way of understanding what is successful, what is good, what thrives, and sometimes they hit it on the head. 
but oftentimes they are off. And God uses the noble cedars that he's planted to let people know there is a different and true way to flourish. And it oftentimes means defying the conventions. This is a work of God. God says that he is the one who brings this noble cedar to pass. He is the one who plants it and makes it grow. He is the one who maintains the noble cedar. We are here by the grace of God for as long as he will maintain us, but he, we get to be part of that. And we have a role in staying connected to that partnership and staying true to that partnership. And what's that role? We could talk about it in lots of different ways, but I want to talk about it from the perspective of what the people of God who receive this promise didn't do. So I'm going to talk about it from that perspective. The first thing we do to stay in the partnership, to avoid falling out of the partnership, to avoid being in a place where we're almost dying is to trust in God. To trust in God. To trust in God. The Lord invites us to commit our lives to him. Right? Uh, further in Israel and the history in the Bible, Jesus comes and talks about a new way of living, a new way of following that involves giving our lives to him, to the one who gave his life for us. And believing this idea that a man who 2,000 years ago walked on this earth and was executed rose from the dead and has called people to follow him every, for every year since. We're invited to trust in that story, that that's not just a fiction, but it is a fact. That in that following, there is life. That in that following, there is thriving. That in that following, there is goodness. We are invited to trust that when, when we are invited to participate in the world's schemes or in society's schemes, by society's rules, there is a better way. There's a better way. You don't do things like turn the other cheek if you don't trust in God. You don't do things like love your enemies if you don't trust in God. You have to have something else to put your trust in. Another thing we do is we put down deep roots in God's soil. If the first one is trust in God, this one is know God, to know Jesus. The noble cedar puts down deep roots as we put down deep roots in God. We stay connected to him in prayer, in the study of scripture. There are many ways to do this, but I'm going to give you one tool to put down deep roots in God's soil in the next few weeks. Here's what I'm going to invite you to do. At some point in your day, I'm going to invite you, preferably early in the day, but some of us can't do that early in the day, either because we're not morning people or because we roll out of bed ready to get to the next thing and we don't have time for anything else. But at some point in your day, find a way to get to a place where there's no distractions and it's not going to be long. It'll be maybe 10 to 15 minutes, if that. And I'm going to invite you to take 10 breaths and pay attention to what your body is telling you. There's someone that I know that says that the body is not a minor prophet, it is a major prophet. It often tells us what is going on in our soul. Pay attention to where you feel anxiousness, where you feel a knot in your stomach, where you feel relief and consider what God is telling you through that. And then I'm going to invite you to take a look at your day. And I'm going to invite you to pray through your day. Here's what that looks like. I'll give you an example. Here's how I would pray for my day tomorrow. I would look at my agenda and I would say, um, God, I have a staff meeting at 9.30 in the morning. I want to be present. I want to be sharp. Would you help me see how you are inviting me to contribute positively to that meeting? I, ha I have lunch with someone to talk about discipleship. God, we need creativity and wisdom in that meeting. Would you help me uh, speak when I need to speak and listen well to what this person who I'm meeting with brings to the table. 
Uh, I may uh, talk to someone, I have a phone call in the afternoon, and I might say, God, um, this call may happen. I don't know if it will, but if it does, help me be loving to them. Help me be uh, a peaceful presence in the midst of a hard situation. That's what it means to pray through your day. I know it's a simple practice, but for many of us, we don't do that. We don't think about our day, and this is the kind of thing that will help us start to put down deep roots in God as we take steps with him. The next thing I'm going to invite us to do is take steps of faith in line with his promise, right? So we trust God, we know God, we follow God. What does that mean? What do I mean when I say take steps of faith in line with his promises? What I mean is that move in the direction of blessing others. We talked last week about the invitation to go, to bless the people around us, and how oftentimes that can be risky. Oftentimes that can be scary. Oftentimes it takes steps of faith. Follow God to those places. I can't guarantee you that it's going to be successful, but I can guarantee you that you'll meet God there. Follow God. Bless the people around you. And lastly, stay faithful when challenges come. See it through. Remain. That's one of the key mistakes that the people of Israel made is that when the going got tough, they got going in another direction. Rather than following God, they sought protection from others. Remain in God. Remain in God. Though things get worse, though things get harder, remain in him. My invitation for us today is to consider what our particular noble cedar call is for this season. The noble cedar call looked a particular way a few years ago, and there are similarities now, but there may be some differences And it's a call for us as a church, and it's a call for us as individuals. I'm going to talk a little bit about what my call as a noble cedar or as part of the noble cedar is in this season. I've talked uh, earlier in this summer about my desire to be a good neighbor to the people around me, the people who live at at Magnolia Trace, where I live. Uh, And I've talked about how how I aspired to have a party or a gathering this summer with all my neighbors. Well, I haven't gotten there yet, but I have had one of my neighbors over recently. Now, I've talked to this neighbor a number of times. We've had conversations. We know each other. Um, He knows I'm a pastor. I've been in circles with him where faith has come up, and he's always very quiet in those moments. And I've never pressed him. I suspected there was a story. Uh, Well, he came over, and, you know, after after much, I'm not going to say haranguing, but many invitations, I caught him one afternoon and was like, what are you doing in a few hours? Nothing. Why don't you come over? Okay. So he came over. And we sat around and we were talking and it starts to come up, some of his history. He starts to bring it up himself. He starts to talk. Now, I didn't press it. I just received it. I just listened. But I was grateful. I'm suspecting that part of the Noble Cedar calling in my community is to create spaces where people who have stories like that can, at the time when they feel comfortable, start sharing them. And who knows what kind of healing, what kind of blessing, what kind of growth God might bring. My invitation in the season is to remain faithful and persistent, to keep inviting him and others over, even if they keep saying no, 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 because something might happen when they finally say yes. But even if they always say no, they'll know that there was an invitation. What's your invitation going to be? As a church, we're thinking, what does it mean to be in this place in the long term? What might it mean for us to be in Pittsburgh for, for, for years to come and in what location it might be good? Perhaps you have ideas for what it means for us to be a noble cedar here as a church. If you have them, come share them. Let's pray through those. Let's consider what God's particular call is for us, what his group call is for us, and how we might live into blessing Chatham County 
and the places where God has placed us. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and join me on the stage, and I'm, and I'm going to pray. And what I'm going to invite you to do is, uh, is consider how God might be inviting you to be a noble cedar, to know him, to trust him, to follow him, to remain in him, and to put down roots and bless the people around you. So I'm gonna, we're going to take five breaths. They're going to be five breaths of mine, so I'll let you know uh, when we're done because I'll start praying. And in those five breaths, I just want you to be open to what God says to you or what God might bring up. It might be a picture, it might be a feeling, it might be a word. Nothing might come. That's okay. But if something comes, then attend to it. Ask someone to help you. Talk to God. Talk to me. Talk to someone. Let's figure out how God wants us to be a noble cedar in this season. So God, we're going to take five breaths, and we're inviting you to speak.